Welcome to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast, your source for helping you dominate and insulate your growing practice through two pillars of success, systems and marketing. And now here's your host, Dr. Peter Bolden. Ladies and gentlemen, today I have Rob Bay, president of a software company called Dental Intel. Dental Intel was started in 2012. Rob, I'm guessing it was kind of the evolution from a CPA kind of background. Is that, I know you weren't, but the company, right? Is that, did I do, did I do my research correct on that? Yeah, you know, and actually I was involved. We had a CPA firm. We started in 2004 and CPA firm, I wasn't involved at that, at that time, but the CPA firm worked primarily with dentists and physicians, ended up being primarily dentists and we did bookkeeping you know, accounting, tax strategy, and over a period of time, we just kind of evolved to get more and more into the practice-related data, and we found that we could best help dentists by helping them focus on on that type of data and that type of information. Yeah, and it's and it's you know, and that's kind of one of my the first things I want to talk to, ask you about is you know what was what was the impetus or for for creating Dental Intel? I mean, and how do you how did you niche out and all that thing? And I think you were kind of starting starting with that that explanation there. Yeah, I mean, great question. I mean, we started with the the CPA firm. I, I have I had two other partners that I got involved with, and I came in a little bit later to the game. I I was in technology prior to that and working with physicians actually, and in uh, getting getting together with with those two, they were working with with dentists, and saw that there were just a lot of dentists that did great and a lot of dentists that struggled. I mean, even though they had high expectations, high aspirations, just for some reason they were hitting brick walls and weren't really achieving what they had wanted to or what they what they had hoped to. And so we started asking questions about why is this person successful where this where this person is not? What are they doing? What is this person not doing? And the more we got going down that road and the more we wanted to to help dentists, especially dentists that, you know, that work within uh, within private practice, we we found that there's specific things that these practices were were doing better and they were doing different. There were systems and there were things that we could measure and there were things that we could track. And we found that in in measuring and tracking those things that, that people could actually uh, modify those things. And by utilizing data and information that it really was the only thing that we could find. And we did a lot of searching where you could predict and plan your success. There's a lot of dentists that are successful out there. And when we would ask them why they're successful, a lot of them could not really give us a a straight answer. And many of them even tried again with the second location and could not replicate the success that they, that they had in the first location. But I mean, a dynamic personality, I mean, that's not replicable. Someone's amazing, you know, clinical skills, that's not necessarily replicable. But somebody using data and information to, to figure out, you know, how they can improve their systems, that's something that every dentist can do. Yeah, so we kind of jumped right into it. And I guess for those who don't know, kind of the intro to what Dental Intel is, is it's a, it's a, a platform-based software, right? Meaning a web-based software that we can log in. That's how I use it. I know it's not, you wouldn't call it cloud-based, would you? Oh, I guess you could call it cloud-based. It's on the web, yeah, but... We tie into the practice management software. We can also tie into financial software. And the point is to gather all of that data and information that's there within your systems, whether it's Dentrix, EagleSoft, Open Dental, whatever, and uh, help a practice 
know not only what's going on, but why it's happening and, you know, where there's opportunities within their practice so they can make their practice turn into what they want it to be. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to jump into this, Robin, honestly, and in, in full disclosure to the audience, like literally I was exposed to dental intel by a previous guest, Craig Spodek, who's been on, on the podcast. And, and honestly, I thought I'd been there, done that in dentistry, like, oh, I've seen this business intelligence or dental intelligence or dental, dental metrics dashboards, and they're all kind of the same. And I'm glad that, that I kept an open mind because literally like my head exploded and we were on the phone call the the first time with just how much different it was. And, you know, my office manager and I had the conversation just recently of like, you know, we've been through like four or five of these softwares and they've, and just kind of been had terrible, not terrible experiences, but just, we weren't getting data that we could do anything with, you know, it was just kind of like, Oh, let's look at this dashboard. And, and you really, it's a paradigm shift of having data, but executionable, you know, you know, action items, if you will, that we can actually take strides to and improve that. And I think that's the unique selling feature for me of using dental Intel. I I loved it so much. I put my, you know, you know, I committed to it because I, because I was so blown away. I was like, dude, I am in. And, you know, I bought a year up front and I am in because it's so impressive from a user interface, from a data. I don't know what kind of algorithms you guys have, but the fact that how do you, how you guys extract that stuff is, is mind blowing to me. Yeah. It's, you know, it's definitely a paradigm shift. We, what we, I mean, we started with data probably in a real similar way to what you've experienced in the past where, we thought at first that we could just, you know, find information and data and show it to dentists and they would know what to do. And uh, what we found is that, you know, they're busy in, you know, in the practice and focusing on clinical things. And so we needed to take the data and make it more and more a tool that they could use that would lead them towards the right decisions, as well as tell them specifically specific things that they need to do or that they can do to improve themselves. Yeah. I mean, it's really pushing the needle forward and that's all what it's about. Like let's measure something until we can find something to turn that knob and really like push the needle forward for your practice essentially. And that's, you know, dental KPIs and stuff are thrown around like all the time and you, you just hear historic. I mean, I've heard them in dental magazines all through, throughout from, you know, from the time of dental school on, and I kind of read this stuff and it's like, Oh, this is the stuff you're supposed to track. And I think we just robotically do it. And we, we tell our accounts that that's what we need to, to look at. But some of it is really not, I don't know, effective. I mean, you know, since you study all this and you're kind of a data scientist now, whether you like it or not, do you feel like some of these KPIs are just reported just because they traditionally have been? Yeah. Well, first, I definitely can say that I am a numbers nerd. I've always been a numbers nerd. I've always loved numbers, always loved data and very inquisitive person. Everybody here within Dental Intel, that's kind of the personality. We love numbers. We love trying to find meaning within within these numbers. And I think there's a lot of things that, that are that way. I have a chance to go out and speak, and I always like to ask the audience, what are the things that they're measuring? And so I call out and just let them yell out whatever they want. There's always three things that come back. Production, collections, new patients. But Peter, I mean, which one of those tells you you made money? The collections. Not necessarily, because I've seen practices that have collected... I see. Uh, oh, I saw well, a practice recently that collected okay. seven million dollars and nearly lost a million. Okay, so yeah, let me rephrase that. So yeah, <laughs> one of those three, none of them tell you anything. Yeah, I mean, and and the thing is, is it's kind of like 
you reach the end of a basketball game and we're here in Utah. We, I mean, we don't have NFL. We don't have NBA. We don't have NHL. I mean, all we've got is basketball. Okay. So we're, I'm going to go there. And we, we got the Jazz here. And we get to the end of the game and the Jazz lose the game, you know, we'll say 92 to 94. And that's what Dennis is measuring. They're measuring that final score. So then you're left with, okay, we lost the game. What do we do? And this is what's happening with most dentists. They're looking at that score and they're saying, okay, we just need to be better. We just need to try harder. But there's no system in that. There's no method. There's no action. And so when we're talking about about data, kind of what I was alluding to a little bit before is most of what you see out there with data and most things that if, if you who are listening are measuring things, most likely the types of things that you're measuring is what we call managerial level data. And this is telling you uh, what's happening, you know, what's going on, maybe even a little bit of forecasting or planning for the future. But it's, it's that level of data, our production, our collections, our new patients, you know, maybe even how much we're spending on marketing how many patients we have, how many active patients. But this data is all lagging. It's lagging data where you can't take action on it. So what, what we do or what you need to do is you need to take that data a level deeper to what we call causation. And if our production isn't where it needs to be, we want to know why. We want to know what's causing it from a system perspective. You know, where what is causing it? Who is involved in that and what can be done? Now, there's another level of data that even goes beyond that, which are action items, where data is smart and it's intelligent and it can tell, it can tell you in your practice specific things that need to be done at a specific time with specific patients. And when you can utilize data in that way of first, what's going on in relation to where I want to be, where am I? Why am I not where I want to be? Who can help me get there? What do I need to do to get there? And then the specific actions that need to be taken in specific situations. Let me give you an, an example of this. What I mean by that with, with actions. An issue that a lot of practices face is broken appointments. And they may not necessarily think about it or realize it, but I want to, is it okay if we do math for a second? Yeah. Okay. Love math. Let's, let's nerd out, as you said earlier. Before yeah, you were, I know. I let's, 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 nerd get, out. let's get nerdy, right? Let's get nerdy. So <laughs> I'm going to send you that T-shirt, by the way. <laughs> Custom created. So let's say let's say that we have ten patients that show up today, and on average, we're producing three hundred dollars per visit. So we produce three thousand, and let's say we're awesome, we collect all of it. A typical practice's overhead is seventy-two percent, but we'll say seventy percent for easy numbers. Okay. which means that our expenses today were $2,100 and our income is $3,000 minus $2,100, it's $900. Now let's suppose we had one patient no-show, just one. Now we had nine patients come, $300 a patient, we're $2,700 in income. Did our overhead decrease in any way today because somebody didn't show up? No, yeah. Yeah, it basically doesn't. It, it, I mean, we may have some supplies or lab fees, you know, that, that, that we're not spending, but essentially our, our... But your net went down 30%. Yeah, you know? we went from... We are, our expenses are still 2100 so 2700 minus 2100 is 600 where our income before was 900 And yeah. so we lost a third of our income from one no-show. So the, an example of what I'm talking about is we need... We can do things, one that are action-oriented to eliminate no-shows. 
And two, in a typical practice, when a patient no-shows or even cancels, an average practice is getting a very small percent of those patients to ever come back to their practice again. It's around 40%. And the issue is not the patient. The issue is systems within the practice. And so an example of this may be if we do have somebody no-show, that the data would be able to say, hey, we had X patient no-show yesterday. They were scheduled to come in for $2,800 worth of treatment. Let's call them today and get them back in and assign it to somebody and have them take action on it today. And so that's something that doesn't have to be done by the dentist, but we're, we're finding ways and means to be able to continue to bring production back into the practice. And I think that's a good point that you bring up, honestly, is that this doesn't have to be the dentist because honestly, sometimes I think me as a practitioner, I'm so hesitant to start something new because I'm going to have to quarterback it. I'm going to have to do it. And, you know, and, and there's a limited bandwidth of time we all have and time is our most precious commodity. So I look at it and I'm like, okay, I don't have the time to invest in kind of learning this for potential that it might not work for my practice. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so like, I love the fact that you guys went so far as to say you, you create, you know, everyone has their own uh, login for in the practice and everyone has their own. So it's a, it's, it truly is a team approach with, you know, and, and I'm not the, I'm not the quarterback and captain in chief and the only one on the team. Literally it's the entire team. there to be able to delegate these action items and things. So it, it's really a game changer and it's just, it really is, is smart because it takes, it takes the load off of the dentist, you know, the dentist owner, practitioner, everything, you know, we got, we got enough to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like for example, in, in your practice, Peter, I mean, you're a smart guy, you know, numbers, you know, data, and you could look at data and you can look at information and analyze and know what to do, but you're one person and you have a, a unique situation where you're spending more time in your practice than the typical dentist where most are spending most of their time you know, chairside. But in your situation, even with how smart you are and how much you know about data and information and what you could do with it, you have a team of people and you have a lot of people in your practice. And I don't care how smart you are or how great you are. There's nothing that's more powerful than having everybody in your practice, every team member, just do one little thing every day to make your practice better and bring in more production. If they know what it is and it's measured and it's and they and they can see exactly where they need to do that. Just one little thing. And that I mean if you have a if you have a team, let's say even only of 10 people, I know you've got a larger team than that, but we say 10 people doing one little thing each day, it is extremely powerful. Yeah, it's probably not even just a 10% increase, meaning 10 times, you know, let's say, let's call it like a 1% change every day. It's probably, a, you know, like it's a, probably a compounding effect over time. You know, that that incremental difference over time distributed amongst different people is, uh, yeah, it's, I'm sure is a, a collaborative, synergistic, whatever, compounding effect. Absolutely. I mean, you, you use the word compounding, but I mean, similar like to even to compounding interest, if you have it compound once a month, I mean, that's great. But if you can have it compound every single day and then even across multiple team members multiple times a day, you're right. It really accelerates the growth and the success. I think it's, it's, it's amazing. I love it. So, Rob, there's, one of the, there's a thing out there. I wouldn't say it's a, a myth, but I think there's a connotation out there amongst dentists that, you know, I get busted on. They're like, you focus on the numbers and the data too much. And, and you know, dentistry is about care and care to the, care to the patient. And, and while I fully believe that... You know, they, they don't both have to be mutually exclusive, meaning that, you know, it's 
it's imperative for me to know my business. If you, like I tell people, if you don't know your, if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. So it's, and, and if you don't know your business, you're putting everyone's job at risk. But I think there's a, a kind of a contradiction to optimal care and focusing on only numbers. And, you know, Dennis, sometimes we don't know where to live in, in our world of being like this dogmatic practitioner or a business owner, you know, who's focused on numbers, but there's, there's a blend, right? I mean, you've got to focus on, on both. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you're taught so much in in school, and you know, within the profession, the the noble aspect of dentistry, doing the right thing for the patients. You know, that dogmatic you know approach that that you mentioned or that you that you talked about. And mm-hmm. sometimes uh, we do hear that in terms of okay, hey, you're just focusing on the numbers, but listen, what I'm here for is about people, right? And I'm here for patients and. What we find, uh, and the reality is, is these two things, like you said, are definitely not exclusive from each other, that they, they go hand in hand. We need to know and understand that every single person that comes into the practice deserves the best possible care that we can provide them. And the types of things that we're looking at and measuring are specifically designed to be able to help a practice provide that, that type of care. To, to their patients. And a, a few examples of, of what I'm talking about. An average practice has about 68% of their patients when they come in for their hygiene visit, reschedule their next visit six months from now. So that's a number that we look at. That's a number that, you know, the practice should be focused on. What percentage of the time, you know, when somebody comes in for a hygiene visit, are they scheduled to come in for their next visit? And a practice usually thinks that they're awesome at this. 90 plus percent. Average is 68%. But behind that is it behind that number of 68% are patients. And the very best possible thing that that patient could do for their oral health is schedule to come back and see you six months from now. And, and so by measuring these things and becoming better at that particular number, at that particular metric, we're actually helping our patients have better quality better care, health. better health. Yeah. Same thing as we're talking about numbers related to case acceptance. I know this is this is a stupid question, but I'll ask you anyways. Are you recommending dentistry to people and presenting it to them that they do not need? <laughs> no. Well, you know, so I do a lot of cosmetics, so you could, you okay. could make the argument like, okay, you don't need cosmetics. It's a want-based thing, right? So, yeah, I am. I would, I would almost argue even in those situations that they do. A lot of times people are coming in or they're wanting cosmetics, and it's a want, but it also fills a need for them. And so we won't get into the semantics of that. But if we're talking about restorative dentistry, dentists are not necess- they're not recommending things that people that patients aren't needing. Yet, on average, patients are accepting 25 percent. From a, from a numerical standpoint, from a financial standpoint, they're accepting 25% of what's being presented. And so there's reasons behind that about why that is. And again, it has more to do with the practice and their systems than it has to do with the patients and their excuses. So you're saying on average, kind of nationwide, let's just call it, you're saying that the enrollment rate of treatment proposed is 25%? That's what I'm saying. Wow. That's a, they're leaving a lot of meat on the stick. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's 
patients are not accepting the things that that are best for them. And so is that because the value is not being created? I mean, in your opinion, do you feel like it's just a, you know, a, deg- a, a failure in the systems, a failure in the presentation, a failure? I mean, it's got to be that that number is a little shocking to me. What do you what do you feel is the contributing? It's it's a number of aspects. I mean, when we look at that number, I mean, we're talking about a dollar number. But again, every single one of those has a patient attached to it. And we need to take that first all the way back to the exam. And we say we go in and we, we do an exam. And when we do an exam, there's an opportunity to identify that there, there's treatment to be presented. And even just in that number of that diagnostic percentage, what percentage of the time do we find something? We see huge variances in this number. And a lot of times people are, are diagnosing even less than what is actually there. And I'm not saying for people to be an aggressive dentist. I'm not teaching that. I'm not, I'm not uh, condoning that. What I'm saying is that uh, dentists are diagnosing less than what's there a lot of times because they're in a hurry or because they don't do an exam or because they're not using equipment or tools that are available to them, like intraoral cameras, or because they're diagnosing the patient's pocketbook instead of diagnosing you know, their totally. mouth. Or they're insecure about, meaning, you know, I've been in that in my career, totally. I mean, if if I'm not comfortable with something, I'm not, even though I can diagnose it, I'm sure as hell not going to tech the patient about it because if they ask me to do it and I'm not really the best at it, right? So there's an insecurity factor too. So it's all those things that, you know, you're leaving, leaving things that's not in the patient's best interest. That's honestly, so I was talking to Craig about earlier, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to scale as well was so that I could bring on people that could do a lot of those things meaning better than I could. Right. And, and I wouldn't have to, I could stay in the zone of what I like to present and what I like to, what I, what I know about and so on and so forth. And sorry to draw a little tangent on that, but I wanted no, to kind of elaborate on why. Yeah. I think I'm going back to your 25%, right? Like, yeah, these are, these I mean, that's, reasons. that's a hundred percent right. I mean, and it's not only a fear of not being able to do things clinically, the larger fear usually is that the patients will say no. Yep. Fear and, of rejection, right? I mean, that's a common, that's a, that's, that runs outside of even dentistry. That's just fear in life, right? Yeah. Fear of rejection. I mean, so that, that, uh, that's only just the beginning is the, is the diagnosing of treatment to be done. And then right. following that is whether or not that patient accepts. And there's a lot of factors that go into play, whether or not that patient accepts the confidence of the, of the dentist, you know, how they're presenting it, sometimes financing options. Yeah. Man, I hate to say this. This is a four letter word in dentistry, but salesmanship, helping a, helping a patient. And what I mean by that really is helping a patient really understand the value of, of what's going to be done, you know, the value right. of what they're, what they're doing and finding their we reason. We like to use the word educate versus sales, Rob. Just, you know. <laughs> That's okay. Sure. I mean, we're talking the same thing, but we feel better. I know. Edu- educate feels way, a lot better, doesn't it? Bring value and right. So how does your, going back to this, like, so bring it full circle, can dental Intel help with this 25%, you know, anemic number of 25%? Okay, absolutely. And, and let, me, let me tell you one, one other little aspect to this, and then I'm going to tell you what happens with it. For, okay, so the, the next aspect after even the presentation is how much on average are we presenting and then what percentage of that is being accepted. So, mm-hmm. But if we look across those three things, what we find, and there is a quote by, by a guy named Thomas Monson that I absolutely love. It says, when performance is measured, performance improves. And when performance is measured and reported back, the rate of improvement accelerates. And so 
even just the fact of this being measured and somebody having an idea of where they want to be in this area, they become more cognizant of it. And these areas improve. Now, if we can get a 10% improvement in those three areas, and the three areas specifically are what percentage of the time do we diagnose something? Mm-hmm. What percentage of the time does the patient say yes to any aspect of what we're presenting? And then what percentage of the dollar amount that we're presenting are they accepting? If we can improve each of those by 10% in an average practice, it will increase their the doctor production by 125%. So meaning if they're doing $800,000 a year in dentist production, you know, that it, that it's going to add a million dollars more. Oh, it'll I was thinking in, about it. Okay. It'll okay. in the increase oh. is 125%. Oh, not the Delta. Okay. I, okay. So, wow. so basically it'll take that, that practice in doing dentist production from 800,000 to $1.8 million, 10% improvement. And so it doesn't take a big improvement in those areas to, to equal you know, a big change, a noticeable difference and that's uh, from not the changing. financial aspect of the practice. And that's, I love this because that's not changing, you know, as Dennis, you know, like we spoke about in the beginning, we focus on, well, how many new patients do you get a month? And while they're important, you're saying that this, that that number you came up with isn't contingent upon raising new patients or anything else. It's changing those three variables, right? Yeah. Just those three things. And not like everything else stays the same, meaning that, you know, obviously not an increase in marketing or new patients or whatever, but like, wow, that's, uh, the thing is with that, Peter is that's there in every practice, right? That's yeah. That's what I'm getting at is that there, you can harvest that within your own, with your own ecosystem already. Right. Yeah, wow. a- absolutely. It's not, it's not like they need to really go get something different. Every dentist who's here listening to this, you have this within your practice. You could do this. You could, you could make that type of improvement. Now, that's based upon an average practice. A practice, you know, this is, this is something that you... Is it okay if I share this? Yeah, about yeah, you, go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm cool with being trained. Oh, yeah, yeah. Your, your practice is really good at this, okay? You guys do a really, really great job in, in this particular aspect. And so the way I like to explain it is you're running a four-minute mile right now. Mm-hmm. And an average runner who's running, you know, I don't know what an average is would be, let's say like a nine or a 10 minute mile, it's easy to shave off time. Right. But if you're a practice that's already awesome at this, then you're, you're shaving off a second and happy with it instead of trying to shave off minutes. So this is based upon an average typical practice. But most are. And I get that. You know, obviously, I mean, yeah, I, so thank you for the compliment. I mean, so ultra performing, obviously, you're going to get you're going to get minimal gains in, in that arena. Yeah, so, in that one area. But as you know, there's always other I, places that, that we could find opportunities. And I was just about to say that. And I was like, just because I'm good at those three variables, you know, and, and we're on point there, you know, you've brought awareness. I think the key, you know, I wrote down awareness right now because I think the key for me has been awareness of things that I didn't even know to look at, meaning I looked at new patients like most of us do. And I said, oh, God, our new patients are good, you know, 125, 150, whatever. But, you know, what I didn't realize was my my front door was wide open. Come on in. My back door was wide open, too. People are leaving because we didn't have the systems dialed in in place to kind of retain those and keep that in. So, so yes, I may be good as the as the four minute miler, but I've got some I've, I'm, I'm a 10 minute miler and I'm, I'm, I'm grinding on 
other areas. Yeah, and that's and that's every practice. I mean, there right. there's yet to be a practice that I've found, and and we work with a lot of really successful practices that people would consider to be the top percent of a percent uh, in practices. And we work with a lot of practices that really struggle. But even in the practices that are the top, top, top practices, there are plenty of areas of opportunity, lots of areas of opportunity. Yeah. So even when, if you think you've got it all figured out, I mean, even if you think as a dentist, I got it all figured out, my ship is tight. Like really, this is something for everyone or the dentist who says, man, everything's a mess. Like you'll obviously get more value from that even because there's more things to do. But I mean, it's really for everybody, someone who thinks they've got dialed in and someone who thinks that, you know, they're kind of a train wreck. Well, yeah. And, and one really key thing that just I want to point out is it's important not to focus on on the negativity, you know, but we, we view these as opportunities, not necessarily that somebody's terrible at something or, you know, or, or, or they've got a big issue or a big hole, but there's opportunities within your practice. So you're not, you're not getting on the phone and shoving our nose in it? <laughs> no, no. At least <laughs> we're trying that. not to, right? We're trying not to, right? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny because we already know, like in the, probably in our gut, that like that was already a big gaping hole. So when someone throws salt on the wound, you know, I know personally I get a little bit, I get a little bit emotionally defensive about it, but it's our lifeline. But it, it is cool because it's just data and you have to remind yourself like this is, this is not an emotional, it's just a binary decision about changing X to get to get Y or whatever it is. And it's just data. And I love logging in and looking at my just, just data, right? It's, I, it, I told you before, when we got on the phone, I used this term and I've, and I've used it with some of my associates is that you guys have learned how to almost gamify the game of dentistry from the financial side or the numeric side. You almost gamified it. And then you, because it, you give action, you give it, it's like, you know, a, a beautiful interface. And so it's just, it's almost pleasurable would be, you know, it's exciting. It's exciting. You've gamified it. And you're the first person to do that in my, in my exposure <laughs> to dentistry. And I've been, you know, 15 years and I feel like I, I've been just constantly seeking stuff all the time. So it's not like I've just been riding around, not doing anything. I'm, I'm constantly seeking good companies and you guys have really, it's a game changer for sure. Well, the part that really makes it fun, at least for us, is that dentists that have been flat forever, which is the mm -hmm. predominant trend in dentistry, can set their course for something different. And they know exactly what they need to do to get there. And then they set out on that course and they get there. And it literally, tons and tons and tons of testimonials from dentists where it literally has changed their life. There's a dentist that met... I was about to ask you, Rob, give me your favorite success story. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I was, about, I was like, literally about to be like, all right, so give me, give me a, a, a scenario where you saw someone just categorically change their life with this. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you two different, two different totally polar, polar opposite examples. One is a dentist that he first came to us because he was selling his practice and been practicing for a while, mid-40s. Most income he'd ever made was $76,000. And he was going to sell his practice and go be an associate the rest of his life. And I said, hold on, let's not do that yet. Let's take a look at your practice. Let's see what's going on. And so we looked at his practice. We found, you know, there's a lot of good things happening, but there's just some system things that the data was showing that they needed to get better at. And there are things that he didn't even have to hire a consultant. There are things that once he, they were exposed to him about what was happening, 
he was able to go and execute those things. Well, four months later, let me, I'll be more specific about what they were. He was not reappointing patients. He was at a point where he was the guy who was afraid of rejection. And so he stopped diagnosing treatment. And then, I mean, those honestly were like the two biggest, the two biggest things, things yeah. in his practice. I mean, everything else that he was doing pretty fine at. And so he set out to put, put a system in place to measure those things and start get better at those things. Four months later, he was on track to make $200,000, which for him was triple his income. Yeah. I, I just ran into him not too long ago at a restaurant, and I did not even recognize the guy. He came up to me, and he his confidence, and he was like a whole new person. And he told me this last year he made almost $450,000. So the thing is, is that it, I mean, using data and information can put you in that situation where you just know those little things to do. Another dentist that, that we've worked with for a while already measured a lot of things. Really successful dentist. Income um, beyond seven figures. And he was a workaholic. I mean, he worked a lot. And he spent 10 plus hours a week just on data and information, which is what he attributed his success to. And so once we helped uh, simplify the situation of gathering, collecting, analyzing, knowing what to do and disseminating that information within his team, he was able to recuperate that time. And for him, he said the thing that he loved about it was the fact that it, it helped him save his marriage. So two totally different situations, oh. two totally different different outcomes. This dentist, that I mean, that happened to be his his third marriage, <laughs> and so yes, so he he really did not want to lose this lose it. <laughs> yeah, he would be out. He would been out of lifelines after that, right? Third marriage. Yeah, three after three strikes. Oh, I'm going to be quiet. <laughs> it gets dicey. Yeah. So I mean, those are those are a couple, but there's numerous others of of dentists that have, I mean, totally changed their life by, by using data. And I'm not saying that we have to be the ones to do it. I mean, just utilizing data and information to make decisions can make you a much, much better business owner, as well as even help you be a better, uh, provide better care to your patients. Yeah. So that's, I'm glad you brought that up. So let's say someone didn't want to take the full plunge or, you know, I like to create value for people, even if they're not going to use a a product or a service that I'm saying is awesome. So let's say that like I'm, I'm a dentist and let's, you know, listening to me out in California right now. And, and he's like, look, I'm not going to sign up, but can you give me some pearls that say, Hey, can, can Rob, I'm asking you like you, can you give me some pearls to say, I'm not going to sign up for the service, but what are some things that I can measure right now on Monday that will have a direct impact or what can I do, you know, just to get my feet wet with, with something like this? Okay. This is an awesome question. Really, really good question. And the answer is actually way more simple than people think it is. And it's not production collections, new patients. Okay. There is a formula that equals the success of a dental practice from a financial aspect. There's a formula. There's four variables in this formula. And this is the formula. We're going to multiply the first three and subtract the fourth. And that will give us our profitability. It's the number of visits we have in a week or a month or a year, whatever type of time frame. And I'll come back to some of these things and kind of talk about what we, what we do about this. We, we need to measure how many visits we have. Okay. Whether they're hygiene, 
no fee right. visits, restorative, doesn't matter. Second one is how much do we produce on average per visit? Now, you may have your, those two together multiplied equal to your, equal your production. Don't skip ahead and just get to your production. You need to know how much you're producing per visit. If you don't know, take your total production, divide it by how many visits you had. That will give you your production per visit. The third variable is collection percentage. What percentage of our production do we collect? Now, when I'm talking about production, a lot of people will tell you to just look at net, but I'm gonna tell you to start with gross. When you're looking at your production per visit and your collection percentage, because there are a lot of reasons if you have a change or a variation in this collection percentage as a relation to your gross that you, where you may not notice those as it relates to net, but you want to see those differences. And some of those differences may be an increase in patients from a certain insurance, or you brought on new insurance, or maybe you're having fraud happening in your practice. You want to measure this, your collection percentage at, in relation to your gross production. We're going to multiply those three together. From that, we're going to subtract out our overhead, and that's our profit. Those are the four variables. Now I'm going to give you some parameters to look at in these. When we're looking at visits, what's important to know and understand is our capacity. The mm -hmm. best way to calculate capacity, because we want to know where we're at in relation to capacity to see if we can improve this number. When we look at capacity, the best way to calculate it is in hygiene. And we're going to take how many we're going to look at physical capacity rather than human capacity. We're going to take how many hygiene chairs do we have. We're going to multiply that by how many days a week that we're there. So we're, we'll run an example. We have four chairs total. Two of them are for hygiene. We're there four days a week. Two times four is eight. We're going to multiply that by however many hours a day that you're there. So we're going to say eight. And so that gives us 64. Now there's, a, there's an aspect where we can account for how long our hygiene visits are. And what we're going to do is we're going to multiply that number by 60 over however long our hygiene visit is. So in this instance, we'll just say 60 minutes. So we're multiplying it by one. So that's still 64. And then we're gonna multiply that by four weeks in a month instead of actual 4.2, but we'll multiply that by four. That gives us 252 hygiene visits. An average practice operates at about 51% capacity. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if we know what that capacity is, if we focus on that hygiene capacity and filling that hygiene capacity, everything else will follow. So we'll be, you'll be able to know if you're an average practice, you potentially could double your visits. If you doubled your visits, those hygiene visits, every time you do a hygiene visit, you're going to do an exam. And when you do an exam, you have an opportunity to diagnose, and that means you've got an opportunity to present and for them to accept, which brings in dollars on, on the dentist side. So start with that aspect as it relates to visits. When we're looking at production per visit, an average practice is about $250 on average per visit, gross production. A good practice will be about $400. I have practices that we work with that are double that. But Peter, your practice is one that does really great in this number and how much you do you produce per visit. But look at this number and know where you're at in relation to, do I want to be average? And I'm at 250. Do I want to be good at 400? Or, you know, 400 is about top 
top 20, top 10%? Or can I push it, push it beyond there and be even better? Collection percentage. This number does not quite matter as much unless we're really down in terms of our, of our gross. But it's something that we wanna watch over a period of time and, and the, what's most important on this number is the trend. If we're getting better or if we're getting worse on this number. Take the total uh, AR that's owed to you and divide it by your net production for a month. And that number, you want that number to be less than one. If you're really good, you want this number to be about 0.6 most practices in this number are over two. And what that means is that there's money that people owe to you that you should have in your bank account. Right. If you had it in your bank account, it alleviates all the cash flow concerns. You're still doing the same amount of dentistry. You're still collecting the same amount. But instead of having, you know, if you're a practice that does $100,000 worth of production, uh, a month, and you have people that owe you two hundred thousand, and I'm saying that you should only have people owe you a hundred thousand. If you could collect that extra hundred thousand that's in your bank account, it it makes for smooth sailing. It makes it a lot easier when you're hitting tough times. Overhead. This is a little more tricky, but I'm going to speak to a dentist that is a single dentist. And if you're not that, feel free to contact me. I can give you some a formula for this. An average practice in the United States is 72% overhead. 28% of their collections is what goes to the dentist for all types of benefits, whether that's their personal income, their health insurance, whether they're paying for their vehicle, you know, or whatever else it is that they're passing through. 28% uh, is what ends up going to a dentist. If we're good at this number, you know, we can be 50, 55% overhead with 45 to 50% profitability. And I told you about an instance of a, of a friend of mine who was at 32% overhead, 68% profitability. So you want to look at these four variables and you want to figure out, think of them as levers. Which of these levers do I need to pull? Do I need more visits? Am I at 51% capacity? Can I increase this number? Mm-hmm. Is my production per visit, am I average? Am I below average? Could I get better at this? Uh, do I have too much money that's being owed to me? Do I need to put focus here? Uh, is my overhead, am I 72% or where am I? And if, if you know what, what those things are, then, then what I want you to do is start to ask yourself, why? What do I do? And who can help me? That's really, without getting to a point where this becomes automated and this information is fed to you about why it's happening and who can help you and what to do, that's the place to start. Start with those four things. Look at those things every single month. Uh, I mean, that's like a Monday morning, like thing to do, you know, I mean, that's where the the rubber can meet the road. And if, if someone implements just those things you just discussed, like, it could be a different world in just six weeks or, you know, a couple of months of where they are. I mean, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It doesn't, it wouldn't, it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long to, you know, to, to change what's happening well, in a dental practice. Trending towards, you know, what you need, but I mean, you'll see, you could see a change. I mean, that's, that's, that's powerful stuff right there. You know, I think that's what I like most about it is just even just the awareness of it. You know, the awareness brings kind of a, you know, I think as dentists, we see problems and we want to fix them. You know, that's our, that's our tendency, you know, you know, there's, there's disease, fix it, decay, fix it, whatever. So I think, I think if we can bring awareness to our, to our, you know, track it and bring awareness to what we have, I think 
I think we're, we're good problem solvers. I really do by, by nature. And this is no different than, you know, just diagnosing it, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like an x-ray into your practice. And I agree completely. Dentists are smart. My experiences is dentists, when they see, you know, what's happening, they are able to then take action on those things. And so start with that, create some awareness for yourself, and then ask yourself those questions. Why is this where it's at? Even if it's good, if, even more so if something is good, ask yourself why, because we want to replicate that or we want to disseminate that effort or that uh, quality throughout our, you know, our, our entire team. It's important. It is, you know, and I think too, another thing I was just kind of thinking about is that to give an analogy, like I won't go to the gym unless my, unless I have a trainer, I just, I've tried to do without a trainer, without a trainer. I have a trainer, not because I don't know how to work out, but because I'm accountable to him. Right. And he keeps me accountable for my well being and my working out routine. And like, he's on me. Right. So I'm accountable to him. And I think one of the reasons I jumped all over this is because now I actually, you know, I put, I did, that's why I was saying I did the year because I put my money where my mouth is. I, I wanted to be accountable to staying on top of this. And I think that's, uh, you know, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's half the battle is just committing to being kind of accountable, committing to working out, committing to all these things. And, and you can watch the changes that will, will, will trans, uh, transpire from that. Yeah. I think that's, a, I think that's a really key point. And one thing that we really have found over time is that having that accountability, like I, like I said, with the quote, it really accelerates the growth. And so mm-hmm. one of the things that we've done to try to help with that is when we work with a practice, this is just what we do. And, and there's ways that people could do this who are listening with, without using dental intel. But we have a data analyst that works with the dentist, helps them not only understand the data and what it means and what to do, but also helps holding them accountable and having some regular communication with those dentists so that we can talk about what's happening and why, and then, and then what, what to do, provide that point of accountability. And in a very positive demeanor, I must, I might add, you know, cause I was a little hesitant to hear some of the feedback once, you know, all of my data was digested by your supercomputer somewhere. Um, <laughs> I was nervous, you know? And, and so it was nice. You guys have a, a nice approach of saying, okay, here's some awesome things and here's some things we need to work on, but here's how we do it. Like it was very hope, hopeful and optimistic. And I think that's, that's huge. Cause so many people are shoving our nose and saying, Oh, you suck. And you, this and that, and you guys give, you know, it's pretty cool. It's cool. It's, you know, it's a correction, but with recommendations, you know, thank you. I, re- I really appreciate that. We have a philosophy here that data is not a weapon. And mm-hmm. sometimes when we show data to a dentist, they're like, Oh man, I can't believe this hygienist or this person, I need to, I need to fire them. And, you know, we don't use that, we don't use data that way. And we really want to teach dentists to not use it that way. We have a rule that we, you have to have three of what we call celebrations. We got to find three good things before we can give what we call a helpful observation, you know, or any type of correction. And what we found to be most successful is to highlight areas of success and then build upon build, build upon, upon those that. things. Yeah. You know, if you have a you know multiple hygienists and their data that we're measuring about the hygienists, and one of them is awesome and one of them is terrible, the person who's terrible, they may know that they're 
not the best in general, but they've never been measured on this. They did they didn't know, you didn't know, they were never held accountable to it. But if we draw attention to that, they will resent the data and they will resent the measurement being measured. But yeah. if we change it and we say, hey, first hygienist, this is awesome. You're doing really great at this. Why don't you tell us a couple things that you're doing that is causing this? And they might say a couple things and then after ask, ask our person who's terrible or somebody else, tell me what you heard or what you like best about what she said or, or what are maybe some things that we could, we could implement or put together you know, across everybody. And we're just going to ignore the fact that they're at the bottom. They know. We're showing it to them. They see the data. It's right in front of their face. But we don't need to, we, let, we just let the number do the talking instead of us having to push them down or, 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 or tell them that they're not, they're not doing good, but find the good things and then build upon those. Yeah. And, and you do that, you literally, you're different and you guys, you obviously have the provider level data so that everyone can see kind of how they're performing, which is awesome. But the thing that blew me away, which I was talking about the, when I said gamify it is that, you know, you have scenario, you have data where you can say, Dr. A, if you have multiple doctors this or multiple hygienists, this applies, but Dr. A with hygienist A versus Dr. A with hygienist B and, and meaning the treatment enrolled or the treatment proposed. And you have data that supports like, Hey, you guys have an awesome correlation together, but you may not have such a good one with hygienist B and, and why, what's, what's the difference there? What can we, what can we learn from that scenario? Which I just thought that's, that's when literally my, my, I blew my mind when I saw that and I was like, Oh my God, that, that will change. That could change everything for me. I mean, I was panicking almost. I was like, I love this. <laughs> I couldn't wait to like, couldn't wait to like just gamify it and say, okay, you know, how do we, how do we structure this now? And let's look at this. And it, that was awesome. I got super excited when that whole combo data aspect was. Can you talk about that for me, please? Yeah. I mean, we have people that all that we, all that we do is, uh, you know, all that they do is just think about what the data is, what means something how do we find more meaning? How do we create more value, more action? And we were just running a query across providers as we were looking at what we call case effectiveness, which includes diagnostic percentage, case acceptance, average dollars presented, and the percentage of those that are accepted. And when we did, we saw that there's hygienists that are listed as providers as well as dentists. And so we kind of, I don't mean to say we almost stumbled on, on this by accident, but it kind of was this way where we would see these combinations and there'd be Dr. A with hygienist A. And let me, I guess let me tell you one scenario, a practice, two dentists, they're brothers, and they have uh, four, or four or five hygienists. And the one brother, he had presented with one of their main hygienists. You know, I use the word main, but you know, like, like one of their key people. During that month, they had presented together $80,000 worth of treatment, and they had accepted $8,600. It was just under 11%. And this was, you know, what they considered to be one of their best hygienists. But surprisingly, that hygienist, when, when she was with the brother, they had 76% case acceptance. And when we, when we first saw that type of data, that disparity, it was really eye-opening to us. And so we started asking the questions, why or what's causing this or what is this? And we see a huge discrepancy. 
And even just with a single dentist, we see a big variation in what happens with case acceptance based upon which hygienist they're with. And it's not always the, what, the, what the, dentist, the dentist thinks. But when we look at data that way, we could start to make decisions. This, that one hygienist, most of the time was with the first brother. And when they're presenting treatment together, I mean, we might as well not even present treatment because they're hardly getting anything accepted, you know, 11%. But if we were to change the way we did things and the brother was the one, the, the second dentist was the one who was always doing the exams with that dentist, what we found, and this was based upon a year's worth of data. When we went back, the numbers held true for a year's worth of data. Not the exact same percentages, but a huge discrepancy. It was almost three and a half to one. If they were to change and have the brother be doing the exams or the second dentist with that hygienist, they would have increased their their production in their practice by $600,000. Holy cow. And so there's a lot of those types of relationships that you can find. Now we're we're talking this is not the this is not the the 100 level courses, you know, or 100 level of data, but there's data that's available that can continue to help us refine and get better and get better and get better. With, within our practices. And that's what it's all about. You know, it's a constant grind. And I, 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 I thank you guys for being a, a tool in my toolbox to help me kind of on that continual everlasting journey, <laughs> man, you've, you've given so much, so much value here, Rob. You're literally like, I'm blown away. I've, I've been writing more notes than I think uh, felt like I was in a classroom. When I was going over when you're going over all your physical capacity, number of chairs, I'm writing all this down because it's just, it's so good to hear again and again and again. And I think, thank you for kind of bringing awareness to dentists about these things and, and breaking the the myth of, oh, focus on new patients and collections and, you know, things like that, that aren't really moving the needle forward for us, right? In terms of our businesses. And so you just gave some, some just awesome, awesome pearls to help move it forward. Yeah. Thank, I appreciate thank you so much. I really, really have enjoyed spending time with you for sure. Yeah, man, I, I have too. All right. In closing, can, would you mind if I gave, I gave everyone three little speed round questions just to, to kind of ask you little personal questions about you. Okay. Not really personal questions about you, but number one is favorite book. Okay. There's a, there's a lot of, a lot of good books. Good to great, you know, is, is, is one of them built to last, but one of my favorite books that there is, is outliers. Love that book. Because 10,000 hours, huh? <laughs> yeah, I, I like that book. I don't know why, but I really, I love, I love that book. That's a Malcolm Gladwell, it right? Is, yeah. 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 It's, it is a good book. I've, I actually have read that one. What is your favorite productivity tool app or software that you use every day? And you can't, and you can't say <laughs> Dell Intel. <laughs> well, I don't use, I don't use dental, dental Intel. So my favorite productivity <laughs> app or software is we, we use a, a communication tool that's called Glip. Uh, it's an, Glip. it's an internal communication tool. It's part, uh-huh, it's part of a suite that's put together by ring central, which also does our, oh, does yeah. voice over IP phones and it's an awesome tool for collaboration. Love, love that tool. How do you like Ring Central, by the way? Sorry, I interrupted your speed round. Oh, but... I like it. I like it. I like okay. it a lot. Oh, okay. can I say one more? Yeah. Okay. Uh, since we're a software company, there's another tool that we use. And you, you'll, if you use our tool, you'll see it. You'll see a little help button down at the bottom. And these guys are out there. And they, by the way, are killing it. I wish I would have invested in their company from the very beginning. They're called Intercom. Intercom.io. 
and it's an awesome, awesome tool. Sorry, that has nothing to do with Dennis. Intercom.io. No, it, <laughs> but, but, but it, I love but that it tool. does. It does in that, that you know, it does in our day to day and our systems and our communication and all these things. So it does. It you know, these tools can sometimes we can extrapolate these tools into working for us. So yeah, it's a chat. It's a know. chat functionality that works within software. And where do you see, from your perspective, the future of dentistry? Oh, going. I'm going to, I'm going to share this in relation to what our goal is. As you know, dentistry is moving more and more and more corporate, more towards DSOs, towards groups, towards corporate dentistry. Our goal is that we want to be able to help individual dentists be successful and optimize their practice, a practice that can utilize data and information and optimize their practice. There is no corporate practice out there that can compete with it. And so while I see things going more and more that direction towards corporate dentistry, our objective is going to be to continually to help the individual practice owner to, to be successful and find ways that, uh, that they can make dentistry what it was that they dreamed of and what they thought it was going to be when they were in dental school. Man, that's a beautiful thing. And you know, I think so many times we get this this scarcity mentality of this, this man, I just need to comment on this because I think that's, that's such a great, that's such a great motto for you guys, you know, kind of helping out the, the keep it, preserving the cottage in, cottage industry and, and, you know, and, and helping individual dentists compete, you know, numerically against, against this quote unquote corporate takeover that we keep hearing shoved down our throats, so to speak, you know, that's just, that's just awesome. Awesome. So you, you said in there, I want to go back to a, just a quote you had in there. You were saying, and I don't, I can't, I'm going to paraphrase this, but you're saying basically helping dentists compete, you know, what did you say exactly? You said basically are helping dentists compete in, in against that kind of yeah. scenario or, or being competitive with, I should say, right? Well, the whole reason why things are trending that direction is because business people have found that dentistry can be successful. They've also found that dentists are terrible at business. Yeah. And so if they can bring a, a business person in to run a dentist office, a dental office, they can increase the profitability. But in doing that, though, really what happens, Peter, is they normalize these offices. They're bringing them to a certain level and of performance. But a single dentist or, you know, a, a dentist that has a couple of locations and they're practicing in their practice and th this is their craft. By them optimizing their practice, there is no corporate facility that could ever compete with that practice in terms of the level right. of care that they provide and even the financial success that comes out of that practice. I love it. I love it, man. That's, that is awesome. That's so powerful. Uh, let's close on that. And I appreciate your time, Rob. It's been obviously, again, educational, enlightening, all the above. And like you said, I love data, but I can't, I can't get enough. You've given me pearls of my, for myself even to take away from this. So thank you for your time taking, taking well over an hour, not well over an hour, but I guess we're in an hour and five minutes. Thank you for taking your time with us and, and the audience. And um, yeah, I'll see you. I'll see you. See you next time. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. Love to right, love to be with Take you anytime possible. Thanks, man. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Bulletproof Dental Practice with your host, Dr. Peter Bolden. Online at bulletproofdentalpractice.com. We'll catch you next time.